welcome to the In Context podcast. Uh, today I have a good friend of mine, uh, Steve Bray from uh, Newfoundland uh, in Canada. Uh, I met Steve a couple of years ago at a 20 Schemes gig and rather than waffle on like I always do, I'll uh, let him introduce himself. <laughs> good morning, Steve. How are you doing, brother? Good, my buddy. Thanks for having me, Ian. And uh, to all of your listening audience, it's awesome to be here, man. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just wondering, you're from uh, Newfoundland and the Labrador region of Canada, a beautiful region. And uh, I just wonder, like, what what made you want to hang around with a couple of council estate pastors from Scotland and England like me and Mez? How did we first get to know you? Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool story, right? So I... Um, I was pastoring in a, another island called Prince Edward Island, which is, you know, a beautiful place. It's a tourist mecca, this thing called Anna Green Gables. People come from all over the world. I actually had a really great ministry there um, and started a gospel coalition trap chapter. And from that started having conferences. And one of the first dudes that was ever willing to come was a guy named Tim Challies. And so uh, from that, Tim and Aileen came and my wife and I got really close to them. We, they had a daughter named Abigail that's literally about three weeks apart from our daughter named Abigail. And we just had a lot in common. We became good friends. And from that, I heard about this dude named Mez McConnell, who was like lightning in a bottle. <laughs> and uh, they told me about this thing, 20 schemes, and it always just percolated in the back of my mind until God called me back to my home province here in Newfoundland uh, just about seven years ago. And when I got back here, having been away for 15 years, my province had changed a ton. Um, it was a collision of ideologies. There was, uh, you know, really rich and really poor. There was generational sin. There was, you know, a collision of, of poverty and drug addiction and all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, okay, what do I got to, what do I do now? But from that, I had been developing this friendship with Mez and with Matthew Spendler Davidson. And um, I literally looked through Canada and through the United States and thought, there's nowhere for me to look that understands my culture. And so I said, you know what, I got to go over across the pond back to where my roots come from. So Newfoundland is basically... English, Irish, and Scottish. I mean, that's basically what we are. Um, my, I'm from a town called Harbor Grace. My parents, uh, my, my ancestors come from Devonshire in 1743, left from Devonshire and came to, to Newfoundland. And so um, my, the hometown I'm from is nicknamed Little Ireland. Uh, you will, everywhere you go, you see Union Jacks, Irish flags, and Scottish flags everywhere. So I went over for a weekend, and that's where I think you and I met and uh, took in and got to see all of 20 schemes in action and realized, man, this is, this is, I have much more in common with this than I do with anything in the rest of Canada, the United States. So then I, I became a little fanboy as I probably irritated the snot out of them. Um, and again, because of our culture, our cultures are co in common. Like, so our sense of humor in Newfoundland is to make fun of you. It's a snarky, sarcastic, way of doing things, we're, we're rowdy, um, we're blunt. Uh, you, you know, we tell people all the time, if, if Newfoundlanders are being nice to you, it's because they don't like you, um, you, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just resonated with all of you guys. I just felt at home and at ease. And so then I just became a student. I became a student of what, what Mez was doing at 20 Schemes, 
everything that you're doing down the estates, start up reading up on all these things. And um, this thing called Mile One Mission is is literally, man, basically just 20 schemes in a Newfoundland wrapper. I mean, it's that's really what it is. I just adjusted it to uh, to my environment, put a cool little name on it that resonated with my locals and uh, went from there. Cool. So uh, it's nice to know that my one mission, uh, like Medes, is just basically a ripoff of 20 schemes. That's it, man. That's <laughs> it. I'm just monkey see, monkey do, man. That's all I am. <laughs> well, again, if, uh, yeah, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Uh, That's right. Replicate the wheel. So, yeah, it's interesting to see that uh, there is some people who appreciate our sarcasm and our bluntness and rudeness. <laughs> But yeah, I'm right at home, man. I love it. I, in fact, I love going over there with you guys. Uh, and, you know, whenever we've had the 20 schemes guys come over here, they, they, they I mean, Mez, when Mez, he literally thought, I took Mez to a place and he actually got as, as, as emotional as Mez ever gets. He thought he was in Ireland. He, he said, like, this is, I, I think I'm in Ireland. And uh, so that was just, you know, I've loved that sense of camaraderie. Brilliant. So just give us a little bit of a flavor of what it's like where you are. So you're in St. John's in Newfoundland and Labrador, yeah. that's the region. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure our couple of listeners will be familiar with the dogs, the Newfoundland and the Labrador. Well, I'm not sure many will be familiar with what it's like uh, yeah. in where you're ministering. Yeah, so um, again, it's an island that was founded. I mean, we, we have the oldest city in all of North America. Uh, Cabot came over here in 1497, and that's when St. John's got established. So the, the city of St. John's is well over 500 years old, which will cause anybody from the UK or on the other side of the pond to laugh and go, oh, yeah, that's old, is it? Um, from a North American perspective, it's old. And um, But we are an island that was basically founded for fishing, natural resources. Everything for us is natural resources. It's a hard, rugged spot. It's an island... Um, we basically have two seasons here, um, <laughs> windy and more windy. Um, we get, you know, it's a rugged spot. Our, our geography is rugged. Uh, our people are hard, um, but they're friendly. They're hospitable, uh, very loyal, uh, tribal. Uh, I will say we have a very distinct culture. Um, we have very distinct ways of talking. I mean, I'm, I'm probably sounding pretty refined, but uh, Newfoundlanders have a very distinct dialect. I think we have 17 different dialects on our in our province because you've got this Irish, Scottish, Welsh, Celtic blend of stuff. So, you know, things like, uh, you know, gobsmacked and, and things like, like, we have all these expressions that have some form from your world, but we've kind of Newfoundized them. So I, I never actually heard gobsmacked so much, but I grew up telling guys if they didn't shut up, I'd smack them in the gob and uh stuff like that and and um you know we have a very you know uh distinct culture that way so but then uh about 40 years ago uh oil and gas was discovered off our shores and that really changed a lot for the province historically religion has been predominantly roman catholic or anglican um and uh those have reigned and about about 120 130 years ago in 1898 William Booth sent a couple over, and that's how the Salvation Army got established here. And then a woman uh, that was a convert down at the Azusa Street Revivals in the United States said that the Holy Spirit told her to go to this remote island, and that's how Pentecostalism 
came to the shores of Newfoundland and Labrador. But basically, in my world, there's only five religions. You're either Roman Catholic, you're Anglican, you're United, which is a combination of Methodism and Presbyterianism, uh, your Salvation Army, or your Pentecostal. If you're not one of those five, then the average Newfoundlander figures you're a part of a cult. Because for them, that's the only thing they compute. Those are the five religions of our island. Um, so what happened was St. John's exploded. Uh, almost 50% of the population of the whole province is just inside of St. John's. And uh, big university, there's about 30 odd thousand students between our university, our trade school, the seat of government is here, but this is where all of the money is. And so when I travel across Canada, the United States to describe Newfoundland or St. John's, I always tell people, think if Las Vegas, Nevada and Anchorage, Alaska got together and mated and had a love child, St. John's would be the love child, right? So we're isolated. There actually is a lot of money here, but the way it is, it's seasonal work. So what, what happens is guys work to go on the dole. They get enough to, to they, they work for three months or six months making really good money. And then they get the maximum amount of dole that you can get. And then they're idle on an island. So we have the highest per capita rate of sexually transmitted diseases, highest rate per capita of HIV. Um, we uh, have the highest rate per capita of alcoholism. We spend more, the average Newfoundlander last year in 2020, 2020 was the last numbers I have, spent almost $1,100 on alcohol per Newfoundlander. Um, we, we guzzle bear, bear is water to us. Um, St. Patty's Day here is a full on, like provincial holiday, like the world stops. And uh, we're very Irish. There are, there are, we have two categories. There are drinkers and there are quitters. Like that, that's the way they define themselves. So what you have is you have rich and poor. You have a very social system of government. So there's a lot of money being given to just be lazy. You're isolated. And that makes for sin. That's a perfect recipe for sin. Religion has gone the way of the dodo bird. So we are culturally religious. So we're very proud of our culture, but we're practically pagan. So most people, most people say under the age of 40, wouldn't go to church hardly at all, except to get married, have a baby christened or to be buried. <laughs> right. And, you know, we'll occasionally go Easter or Christmas. Um, but we are ingrainedly religious in the sense that you give me a last name and I know if you're Catholic or Anglican, um, like, and everybody knows that. And we, we have our pockets. Like that's a, that's an Anglican neighborhood. That's a Catholic neighborhood. That's a Anglican city. That's a Catholic town, all that type of stuff. And so all of our churches are empty. Um, you know, we have 250,000 people in our city. There are 72 places of worship. Um, which is what one for every 3,300 people. Um, I think there's a hundred plus pubs. There's five, five or six pubs for every 10,000 people. Um, we have a street here called George street, which is 500 meters long. And there's 40 something pubs on that one stretch. And on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, they are packed. Um, it is party central there. So um, that's, that's my world. Uh, you know, it's this collision of, um, and Newfoundlanders are very cynical. They're very suspicious. They feel they've been given a raw deal by the government 
Um, and so they, they actually think it's a badge of honor to fleece the government. Uh, many of them do. They think getting, making a lot of money and then going on, on the dole is, is like, why wouldn't you, you know, the government does nothing for us. So why don't we take what we can from them? Um, there's a lot of, you know, similarities. I think, um, I remember Shaba said this, we have a lot of probably what's called serial monogamy. Uh, so, you know, you'll have a woman, she's with a dude, has a baby with him for three, four, five, seven, eight years. Then that dissolves, goes to another guy, has a baby. So we have lots of moms here that have three or four children with two to two to four dads. Um, and, uh, just a lot of idleness which creates an awful lot of, of sin. Um, our first church plant in the neighborhood here, I just got the reports for 2021. So it's a neighborhood of 12,000 people. There's not, there hasn't been a, an evangelical church there in 138 years. Um, but we, we just talked to the police department. In that one neighborhood last year, there was almost 4,000 police calls, which I think equals to something like eight per day. And the predominant ones that 50% of those calls were domestic disturbance or DUI drunkenness of some sort. Yeah, yeah that's my world. Yeah, it sounds quite similar to, to some of the, the, the areas that we have in the UK, maybe uh, places like Aberdeen, where there was an oil boom and Teesside, where I'm from, where uh, there was a lot of work on the, on the docks and there was yeah. occasional work where we'll get contracts in for six months and then not a lot happens. Uh, you either have to travel out the area right. employment or, or, or you're on the pub or you spend your time in the pub spending your, your earnings from the previous six months. And that's what so, they do, man. So, 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 so you've been uh, across to the UK several times now. What, what similarities have you found then between uh, working in deprived areas in the UK to working in, in your context? Yeah, so one of the one of the big differences is we we don't tend to name our neighborhoods like schemes or estates or councils. In the states, they even call them projects. Here in in St. John's, I don't know why that hasn't happened, but we have very distinct neighborhood names, and our city knows that if you're in that neighborhood, then this is the makeup of that neighborhood. So we don't have a generic name. Every, everything we actually, when we have people come visit us, we actually give them maps because our entire city is broken into neighborhoods. And the way the Newfoundland mine said, if you're from St. John's, you're from a neighborhood in St. John's. And when someone says, where are you from? They won't say St. John's, they say the neighborhood yeah. um, because that's where they're from first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So um, just like, you know, whether it be Edinburgh or when I've been over in, in Glasgow or, or stuff like that, you know, you've got these, these schemes, but when you're walking them, to the average guy coming in, it, you know, you might notice a few things, but you can't, you know, a lot of times they can't really tell how you're bleeding out of one and into another because of gentrification and all that stuff. Here in our city, like you will know when you've left a, a middle class, upper middle class, and now you've driven in to a place and you're like, okay, everything changed. The architecture changed, the, the streets on the chain, how many people are walking on the streets. Uh, the condition of the cars, the make and model of the cars, um, what parks look like or don't look like, like it's just very, you know, everything changes. And so we have um, people like our, our second church plant is in our downtown core. And, and again, the downtown core is a great example. 
Um, there is the elite rich part of the downtown. And then there is literally this generational, these are boxes. I mean, these homes are two, 300 years old and they're wooden boxes and people have lived there. Families have lived there for 200 years. Um, my church finder downtown lives next door to a woman and their family have lived in that house for 178 years. Um, and so they, they believe they own the street. Like they just, you know, it's, it's their street. They know everybody. They know, they know, like they've been able to say to my client, that's the drug house. That's where the prostitutes go. That's where this guy goes. That he's the, he's the muscle on the street. He's his, and everybody knows it. And, and the police know it. Everybody knows it. Um, and, and so you've got that, but now what's dissimilar is because we're not that large, we're not like Edinburgh. I mean, Edinburgh is bigger than St. John's. And of course, London is a whole other thing. Um, the, the explosion urbanization is, has blurred the lines a little bit because people are, they're just housing is, is so expensive and all these young people are moving in to go to university and then they don't want to leave. And so there's a bit of blurring happening and we've had an immigration explosion and so immigrants are moving in and it's, it's both, it's been a good thing and a, and a negative thing uh, because you're, you're getting a lot of tensions between a Newfoundland culture and all this, you know, kind of world culture. And it's making it a little harder to kind of know where the lines are. You're getting different types of crime. You're getting different new things that Newfoundland hasn't really seen before. Um, but again, I think like the schemes like uh, and the states and the councils, if you're in one of those neighborhoods and you're known, then you practically don't have to lock your door. If you're there and you're not known, you better get bars, locks, have dogs, because you are just going to get pillaged every single day. And nobody's going to tell you, like, until you're considered a part of it, you're, you're not a part of it. Um, so, you know, that's, it's a weird thing, man. Like, um, Ian, for me, now my church is not at all like Nidri or, or the church here. My church would probably be considered pretty middle class or even upper middle class. Um, but our church is also in a upper middle class uh, neighborhood. And we're trying to reach those people. But I think what happened with 20 schemes and Medhurst is it really burdened me? I'm trying, I guess maybe this is one of the distinct differences of, of 20 schemes of, of mile one mission is I would love it if we can example to North America, what it looks like to have a centralized church like Calvary Baptist that is pretty well to do. Like when I, when I've been over to Nidri and traveled through Berlanic and, and, and all and Dundee and all these different places and Gracemont and um, I mean, I marvel at what those, those brothers are doing. Calvary Baptist is God has blessed us. We, we've, we, and we, you know, we've got a lot of people. So my desire is that Calvary Baptist exists to fund, support, find people, raise up people, train people love of all of these poor neighborhoods. And so all of the first places that we are trying to church plant, because my city is less than, well, almost basically just a half a percent evangelical. So of 250,000 people here, if you could get a thousand to fifteen hundred truly saved people, I'd be shocked. Um, if I took every quote unquote evangelical church in the whole city, which is every Salvation Army church, every Pentecostal church, every non-denominational, and I added up all of their attendance or their claimed attendance, I might get 
to 2000 people or 2200 people might. Um, so, you know, my first five church plants, I've chosen the five poorest neighborhoods that I can find in our city. And those are our five first church plant attempts. Um, because for me, I, I want to try an example to North America, what it looks like for a middle-class church to truly love its city by really going into the poorer parts of the city and not creating soup kitchens and doing little, you know, shoe giveaways and Coke giveaways. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that that drop in the bucket stuff. So I've taken raised up indigenous Newfoundlanders who have moved into these neighborhoods, bought homes, and are, they spend a year or two years, man, just getting to know everybody, you know, loving on people, learning the character of the neighborhood, going through that season of you're the outsider, earning people's trust. And that's been the hard thing for me, man, in North America, it's not, doesn't make for very sexy mission letters, right? Like, you know, I spent, I spent all month at a coffee shop, just getting to know five people so they wouldn't hate me and steal from me. And they actually think I'm, I'm legit. Um, doesn't sound, doesn't make for a really cool, sexy missions letter. Right. Um, cause it takes, it'll take five to eight years to plant any kind of a church in any neighborhood of St. John's. Um, so that's, that's been the kind of the upward struggle of trying to get churches to buy in. So we're trying to model that with Calvary that, you know, we, we're just, every extra dollar we have, we just pour it into this church planting stuff. Yeah, sounds exciting. So what, we all have struggles. I think some of the middle-class pastors who I, I engage with in the UK uh, have a heart to possibly do what you're doing, uh, planting or reaching out to and supporting uh, local churches in more deprived areas, but don't know how to, uh, yeah. or don't even know where to start. So what are some of the, the struggles that you've encountered uh, <laughs> possibly similar to, to the UK and across the world, because it's funny, I've interviewed a lot of pastors from, from, from Africa, from, from Europe, from, from the US, and uh, everyone from a deprived area trying to do the work we're trying to do, all have some similar struggles, but each context brings their own unique struggles. So yeah. with what you're trying to do with Mile One Mission, what, first of all, have you encountered uh, that maybe is... is the similar difficulties that we all face and what is unique to your context? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously just the sheer sinful need, I think we share in common. It's, it's all the same stuff that we deal with bro in, in the sense of cyclical poverty, generational sin, you know, we've seen the effects of, of substances, whether you take it, drink it or inject it or pop it. Um, we've seen all that, the sexual sin and all that kind of stuff of, you know, marriage is just less and less of a thing. And, and so we've got all these kids running around. Um, there's a real, one of the unique problems maybe here is there's a real cynicism about religion. Um, one of the largest Roman Catholic sex scandals took place here. So there's a lot of anger. Um, and it's weird because people are ingrained to be religious, but then they feel like religion has done nothing for them. And so, you know, if you're Roman Catholic, you can, you can mock the Roman Catholic Church. But if you're not Roman Catholic, shut up. You don't, you don't have a right to talk about it, you know, that type of thing. Um, and because the only two streams of evangelicalism here have been Salvation Army and Pentecostal, and I would say it, it is a very old school Salvation Army and Pentecostal. Like here, 
the Salvation Army is legit a church. Like they have church buildings and all that kind of stuff. But it's 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 very emotional led. It's it's very um you know, you're constantly worrying, am, am I not saved now? Do I need to get saved again? So there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of legalism, all that kind of stuff. So when we come in and we're trying to present the glories of the gospel, you 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 either have to overcome mainstream religion and the cynicism and suspicion of it, or you've got to deconstruct somebody that was raised in a Salvation Army world or a Pentecostal world because they, they just, their view of God is just warped and... Um, so, you know, it, it raising up indigenous Newfoundlanders, because our my big thing here is there's no infrastructure. I'm on an entire island. There's there's no schools. There's no, you know, it's not like I even got another little network of churches I can partner with. There's my church, and that's it. And raising up indigenous Newfoundlanders, um, helping them. So either deconstructing them and then reconstructing them to put them in neighborhoods where then they can deal with either because you're dealing with either a person that's you know a multi-generational addiction family who who have a sense of religion but nothing else and and you know again they all know they're not worthy but they're they're just gripped by this the 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 snare of addiction or you've got the person who was raised in a salvation army or pentecostal church and they're cynical they're jaded that they're angry, they got a chip on their shoulder, so they want to argue with you. And there's they're just they have no concept that God is benevolent and kind and gentle and lowly. Their view of Jesus is warped. Or you've got someone who has been raised Roman Catholic or Anglican, and they're like, look, man, my church is bogus, but look, it, that the priest tells me I'll get to heaven someday as long as I show up every now and then. And again, the culture of Newfoundland is we're extremely loyal, loyal to a fault. So I can, I can have religious conversations here all day long, but the moment I tell a dude, your church can't save you, only a relationship with Christ. Like, Ian, man, I've been spit at, cursed at, punched in the face, <laughs> shoved, flicked out of coffee shops. I mean, you name it, because people are like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, I can think the Catholic church is a bunch of dirtbags and pervs or whatever, whatever. But don't you dare tell me that my Catholic upbringing isn't going to make me good enough for heaven. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's that's kind of a weird, unique thing for us is, is raising up indigenous Newfoundlanders who know the gospel, know Christ, are patient, will move in, and then deal with those three types of reactions to the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, I think where we're similar is it's a long, arduous process it takes a lot of partnership, a lot of money. We need we need people to come and help us. We need interns because we we gotta get enough critical mass saved so we can disciple them and bring them up. Um, and again, in my North American context, here I'll take off. <sighs> Tragically, you know, the idea that you can plant a church in twenty four months or. You're going to have, you know, you got multiple churches and five, you know, five of them are going to give 50 each. And now you got an instant church of 250. That just doesn't exist here. So when you're traveling through mainland Canada and much of the United States, and you're trying to say, I just need you to give money and understand that for probably four to five years, you're, it, it, it's, it's just great if I'm still here, <laughs> right? Like, 
it's just a foreign concept. So I just feel like I'm constantly challenged to justify this ministry. Like, to be honest with you, I think sometimes I love my Christian faith. I love, I owe a debt of love to so many churches that help us. But when, when the dog days come and COVID has really brought this out, because I haven't been able to travel, I haven't been able to go do things. The idea that, no, you give money to just us doing mundane, ordinary friendship life stuff. And there's not a lot of flash because for 500 years, it's been like this and we're not going to change it in 24 months. Um, you know, so I, I always tell partners come alongside us for five, seven or 10 years minimum, please. Um, now where we're different from you guys, like with the estates and the councils and stuff, I do think that if we had a critical mass, like probably in Newfoundland, even in, in our poorest neighborhoods, if we had 50 to 75 people going to church, they could likely afford a pastor. They could probably be moderately self-sufficient. Um, but uh, so I think that might be unique to us. That's not the same as being in the, in the council or the estates or in the schemes, but, um, but the hard sledding of even getting it going, man, like, dude, so many, and I'm, I'm telling you, man, so many churches look at me. I travel because, because I'm on this side of the pond and it's a much shorter plane trip for me than it is for you guys. Um, so many pastors are well-intentioned and they shake their heads at me, but when, when you get into it, they, they, they struggle to understand. So like 20 schemes, and I know what you're doing. One thing that I have had to do is, and COVID has really made this challenging is getting pastors and people to come to the Island. They've got to see it, touch it, hear it, smell it with their own eyes and hands because they just don't get it. And I can tell you, someone from my culture that's very sympathetic to England and Ireland and Scotland and stuff, until I went to Scotland and walked the streets of schemes and interacted with people, you don't get it. But once you're there, you get it and you never forget it. Um, and so, you know, if I could plead with any middle class pastors, upper middle class churches is, guys, you know, send people to Medhurst, send them to... 20 schemes, send them to mile one and others that are doing this stuff. And, uh, you know, same thing with, you know, brothers, like you said, in Brazil and, and Africa and Spain and these countries. Uh, but I will tell you this, man, I don't, <laughs> when Newfoundlanders get saved, when God saves Newfoundlanders, man, they get all the way saved. They are all in because it costs them something, yeah. um, you know, so. Well, what are some of your encouragements then? Obviously, you talked about their salvation, that there is a cost, it's hard work, but once the fruit comes, it, it, it's mm. a good fruit. So just share some of the encouragements you've had since setting up Mile One Mission. Yeah. So believe it or not, tomorrow will be my seventh anniversary of moving back here to Newfoundland. So I've been here seven years. And um, Mile One has basically been, you know, conceived and started. And I, I'd say I, I, I look at Mile One's been up and running now for about three years. So three years in, um, we've got our first church plant in Kilbride, which is, a, like I said, a neighborhood of about 12,000 people. No church has been there in 130-odd years. There's been conversions there. That they're going to have a baptism coming up this summer. Um, when they, they are doing monthly services, uh, COVID has just thrown a big monkey wrench into that. But if all hands are on deck in Kilbride, they'll have between 20 and 30 people um, between the core group. And, and what I love about it is, that 20 or 30 people, literally everyone could walk to where they're gathering. They're all from that neighborhood. 
And Ian, for me, like that's, that hasn't been done in this province in 200 years. Um, so that, that is just a thrill for me. Um, we got our second church plant, which is in the downtown. So our downtown is very old. It's the oldest part of our city. It's not like people imagine a typical downtown because it's not like our, our urban, like, uh, our money center and all that kind of stuff. It's where our city hall is and our stadium is, but it's largely, it's, it's largely our tourism Mecca. It's, it's, it's pubs and bars and tourist shops and old St. John's and all that kind of stuff. So, um, 10,000 people down there. There's no evangelical church in the entire core of the downtown, but it's also the Mecca of our LGBTQ community. So um, we got attacked ferociously in the last uh, few months, but through that, we now have nine people gathering in, in our planter's living room, studying Christianity Explored, and um, God's just working. Like, God's just working. He's starting to build friendships with local businesses and stuff like that. And so, um, and again, it hasn't been done. And so, you know, Calvary Baptist is, Calvary Baptist has only been in existence a little over 20 odd years. And so you got Calvary Baptist now and you got Kilbride Community Church and you got Downtown Community Church. And we are just adopting uh, and replanting and revitalizing up in Labrador. So it's a town of 8,000, 8,500 people with First Nations people. And that is scheme estate stuff like you can't even believe. Um, and uh, we've got about 12 people up there. Sorry, brother. So just some of the, so for, just to clarify, is First Nation people like the indigenous uh, original Canadians? Yes. Yeah. Right. So you've got uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, we've got group, two groups called Inu or Inuit. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, the derogatory term that was used, I mean, I guess was Eskimo type thing. Um, but for us here, we call them Inu or Inuit. Um, and there are multiple reservations uh, up in Labrador and um, Goose Bay is, is a place again, right? So you've got these reservations, but Goose Bay, Labrador is again, known for nickel and, and iron ore and uh, um, hydroelectric damming and all these things. They found all kinds of, so you've got all these guys, a lot, a lot of time, either single dudes or married dudes that have gone up there for these massive companies. They're making multiple six digit numbers and then you've got these reservations so i was in an inu tent a few months ago up in labrador and there were four women with me and all four of them were were uh, inu and they all had multiple children one lady was 40 years old and she was a grandmother um and uh but they're the dads were all white guys from newfoundland or from other parts of the country that had been flown in and a lot of alcoholism, a lot of alcoholism, but the, but the need is so great and God has just really opened doors. And so our third church plant is this thing called Northern Cross Community Church. And um, we just uh, have a guy from Biloxi, Mississippi that moved here 52 years old, spent 20 odd years as a state trooper, retired, wanted to give the rest of his life to ministry, moved up here has spent an entire year with us just learning the culture. Um, but he went up to Labrador, and I think he's starting to fall in love with that. He's done some prison ministry up there. Um, and so we're trying now to get our get a core team together that we can send up there. So, you know, here I am, three years in, two years of that was COVID. And by God's grace, Ian, between the friendship I've had with 20 schemes, guys like yourself and Metters, God has been so good. Um that, you know, I'm here now and, and literally what was a church 
of, you know, 22 members and 50, 60 people in attendance now is, is functioning as a hub church. And there are three little churchlings, little seedlings starting. And our goal is to start three more, four more churches over the next two years as God tarries and brings us people. So, you know, uh, I was over at 20 schemes there when I saw you last and Andy was at quote in Zinzendorf, you know, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. So that's pretty well what I'm, what I'm trying to do, but, <laughs> but God is good, man. God has been really good. And you know what? I'll tell you one of the great encouragements. In fact, I'm doing this. Um, I'm doing this with you and I, and we're letting people know uh, in your audience to know that Medhurst exists and 20 schemes exists and mile one exists and that God is working, and these poor forgotten regions, these churches in hard places are not forgotten. They're not out of the eye, eyesight of, of our Heavenly Father, and the church is kind of awakening to a resurgence of missions within the developed world, and, and I only think that bodes well, because then maybe we'll get our vision back and collectively start being able to church plant in other countries that need it as well mm. yeah yeah and again that, that's been i think the biggest encouragement for me as a as a pastor and church planter it's so discouraging at times when you're isolated when your yeah. focus is on what god is doing in your tiny little church in your tiny little community and so easy to forget that our god is a universal god he's uh, yeah. a big god and that uh, when we look at look 10 years ago when I started, 20 Schemes was the first organization that I'd heard of doing anything mm. like this. Yeah. And, and, and 10 years on, uh, we, we are now, we have Medhurst, we've got Mile One Mission, we, you've got your pals down in New, New England. Yeah, that's right, yeah. One Hope in Baltimore, uh, the yeah. Collective, uh, with, with, with Tabiti, there's uh, Armin oh, yeah. Tomorrow with, with Teddy Amo from Nigeria, from Church yeah. in our places. And, and like you say, you were not so long ago. You were with uh, our, our friend from Brazil and South Africa. Were you with Mario? Did, did you go? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So again, it's so encouraging to see all these different ministries linked in together through our commonalities, uh, yet learning from one another through our differences, and and just seeing God move across uh, the forgotten places throughout the world. So, what what excites you about the future? Because uh, I'm excited about what's happening now. What do you think lies in store for ministries like ours collectively, but also individually uh, for the future? Well, one thing I, I've, I've been excited by, I was just over when I went left for the 20 Schemes weekend or went to Spain with A29 and Church in Hard Places and met pastors from Albania and the Ivory Coast and Brazil and South Africa and 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 all that. And and bro, like you just, you're, you're, you're in, in energized because God's working. Um, me being here on this island, dude, man, I can have what I call Elijah moments all the time where I think like I'm the only dude slugging it out serving Jesus, right? Yeah. And to be reminded of that. So what excites me, though, is that these guys, every one of them tells me that God is working. People are getting saved. Young men and women want to serve God. And, and so, you know, because we can, with social media and the cultural drift we're seeing in, in in the UK and Canada, the United States, we can feel like, man. Um, but then you realize God is just doing stuff. I'm, you know, we've got a, we're sponsoring a family here from Iran and, and, and this guy, every time I'm on the, I, I talk to this guy, I feel humbled because 
like people are getting saved in droves in Iran and in Tehran, they can't stop it. And so, you know, I feel like I've, I'm living out more, the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. So years from now, what I hope and pray is that my, my biggest dream, if God allows it, Ian and, and, and God tarries, is that a decade from now, you and I can see young men and women that have gotten saved from the clutches of these things. They've come up, they've been discipled, they've been trained, they're serving God, but they'll be moving into some of these places of influence to talk to the rest of the world. And I guess a cautious optimism I have as a guy who's been traveling through lots of North America is that I think the middle class and upper middle class churches are starting to catch a vision for the fact that if we band together and we let God do the work that together we can do some amazing things. Um, and so I'm hopeful that that will continue to happen. I think there are some seismic shifts coming. I think, I think the mega church's days are numbered. Um, but I also think some of the modeling that 20 schemes and Medhurst and what I'm trying to do here at mall one with is, is to really appeal to the mom and pop middle-class church and say, you can be a part of changing an entire historical trajectory of a neighborhood or a city or a scheme or an estate. And I don't think we've done enough to maybe challenge them. So my goal, my hope in the next 10 years is that we'll awaken the mom and pop churches across the UK, those churches that are in the, the more upper posh parts of London and and all these places to go, you know what, I, if, if every one of us did a couple of hundred dollars a month or $300 a month, if every one of us took up a Christmas offering, if every one of us did this, and we just poured time and effort and patience and prayer and some finances into these other spots, would, would God allow us to see a sense of revival and resurgence in across the Western world, like across the UK and across Canada, across the United States? And if, if that happens, I, I can only see that that would bless Russia and China and Indonesia and Africa and South Africa and these types of countries, and maybe see a bit more of a holistic interaction that it's all the experts are not in the West. It's, it's Christians just being Christians, and we're recognizing who God equips and blesses. So whether you're from the West or the East, or you know wherever you're from, if God's got his hand on you, then we just want to say, listen, you know, reading Proverbs this morning, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And I just think those counselors need to be from, from the entire church, not just from the, the three Southern universities in the States or from Union School of Theology. That, that we, I think there's experts in council estates. I've met experts at, at Nidri. I've met experts everywhere. Um, and I think what I hope excites me is that we're turning the page that we're going to look at truly biblical character and calling. And we, we still put a premium on, on equipping and training and all that kind of stuff, but we're not going to look at the, the experts are only in these areas. No, the experts could be in Berlanic, the experts could be in Middleborough, the, 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 you know, uh, uh, and we're going to thank God for it. Or we could have a Mex you know, Mario could be the expert we need to look to in South Africa or, or Aiden and over in Albania or whoever, you know, like just to seek the Lord's face. Mm. awesome what an awesome place to end as well brother uh, yeah man it's been exciting to, to chat with you and uh if, if i get the bottle 
to get on a plane, hopefully I'll see you before long as well. <laughs> I'll show you a good time, my buddy. We'll party hard here in Newfoundland. And and listen, man, I got to get to you. Like I, I really not, I, my my bucket list, man, in 2022, if God allows it, is I got to come party in your neck of the woods. I need to go back to my roots and see where I came from. Well, the 17th to the 18th of June, we've got a weekender. So that's uh, right. If you can, if you if you can make that, that would be awesome. Yeah. No, I'm going to plan for it, and I encourage anybody out there to do it as well. Awesome. Oh, brother, thanks very much for your time, and uh, thanks for joining me on the In Context podcast. Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro.